Sometimes people think it's over, but it's not necessarily over. If two people are willing to understand the true purpose of relationship, which is about the evolution of your soul together. I commit to serving you. I commit to serving you. If you understand that, then you understand that shit's gonna get triggered. And a lot of times when stuff comes up, people are like, I'm out, bye. But when stuff comes up, if you understand the real purpose of relationship, which is evolution, then relationship can be a profound healing container and yoga for the both of you to work through stuff together. So long as you both commit to serving each other's soul, even when some challenging stuff is there, you have a relationship and you can continue. But when someone is like, I'm no longer committed to serving your soul, that might be a sign that your relationship is over. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Investment Podcast. Do I have an episode for you today? I'm, I'm, I'm literally still in awe. This conversation touched me on a spiritual level. I had the pleasure of interviewing Coot Blackson. Coot is a beloved inspirational speaker and a transformational teacher. He's just incredible. Let's start with that. Coot is the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, as well as his newest book, The Magic of Surrender. He's widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been called by the Inc. magazine, the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. I absolutely love that. This episode is going to bring you on a whole new level of your spiritual awakening, so you better buckle up. Side note, we have a little giveaway at the end of the episode, so make sure to listen all the way till the end. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to read a review from one of you bougie besties that I absolutely adore. Username is the Petite Palette. Subject goes, something for everyone. I'm a single slash divorced mom of two living in New York City. My oldest is on the autism spectrum and the single slash special needs mom is one of the most isolating and constant self-doubt. I've tried dating, but I've fallen victim to the gaslighting and other toxic behaviors that are prevalent in this city. The coca community makes me feel like my old self before life happened. I look forward to Coco's latest episodes every Monday. She's the friend we all need. Mary. I could cry, but I won't. Okay, let's just get into the episode. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good. Welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been going through your work. I saw you have a bunch of fun, not even fun, a bunch of amazing, deep things that you're doing right now. And I'm very excited to chat about all of those 
on cool. my show. Cool. Thank you. I look forward to it. Okay. I would love to start with you. Tell yeah. me your story. Oh, my story. We could be here for like 17 podcast episodes, but I'll do my I, best to, <laughs> to, uh-huh. to, sh- to, to, to give you the Cliff Notes version. Look, I, w- I, was, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. And my father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the US, partly Mexico. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world from everywhere and nowhere, which has been a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a child, I often felt like I didn't have a home and it was, it was challenging. I didn't feel like I, ident- I, I identified with anything or any location. And so mm-hmm. uh, I grew to find it a, a real blessing because it gave me the ability to connect with all people as souls rather than just nationalities. And so as a kid, I was a very empathetic kid. I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was a part of me that always wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. Uh, I didn't know what that would look like, but I just felt people and that was very intense. And so some would say I had a bit of an unusual childhood, which I think set the foundation for what I'm doing now and, and why and how I'm doing things now. In that, but, but for me, I thought my childhood was, was quite normal. Um, I thought everyone had my childhood until I found out maybe it was a bit different. In that, like my first memories as a kid was, I remember being a chubby kid lost in the crowd and mm-hmm. seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, like the gravel, and wipes mm-hmm. it on her face and stands up. Call it a miracle. And so week mm-hmm. after week, I grew up seeing <clears throat> blind people see deaf people hear you know, the same man whose sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Stand up. And he would touch them and they would stand up. And somebody would come in with crutches and they hadn't walked in five years. And he would say, throw your crutches away. And he would touch them and they would be healed. And so this was my father. And mm-hmm. he was considered like the, the miracle man of Africa and a very mystical, spiritual, metaphysical, you know, teacher and minister in his own right. He built 300 churches in Ghana, uh, had hundreds of thousands of followers, a huge church in London, 5,000 people. And so I grew up in this, this kind of tradition of, of like anything was possible and spirituality. And my mother was Buddhist. So that was an interesting mm-hmm. combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting combination. And so when I was eight, my speaking career began when I was age eight. I was basically thrown in the eight. audience. Eight. AJ. Wow. I was, you no, know, I mean, it sounds fancy, but I, I was more interested in playing soccer. And I was more interested in soccer growing up in London and wanted to be a soccer player. But I would break things in my father's church. So they literally stuck me on the front row and said, sit and put two basically like bodyguard type people next to me. And one son, and I'm, I'm asleep in church. And one yeah. Sunday, my father says, my son's going to speak today. And I remember running up on stage and I don't know what happened. I didn't practice and words started to come out of my mouth and people were moved. And that began my, my relationship with speaking and something opened up inside of me. And so when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. And that was another pivotal moment in my life because all of a sudden I'm this kid. And I would look, I was very curious about life and tried to understand who am I and what's the purpose of life and where do we come from? Where are we going? And like, like, why are we here? And yet, my father just suddenly announced one Sunday, my son is taking over my ministry. He is my successor. And I'm thinking to myself, no one wow. freaking spoke to me about this. And, How old and were you then? Was that 14, still in the age? Okay, 14. 14, yes. And so, you know, I'm a kid. And, and, and yet <laughs> I felt very tapped in, but I'm still 14. And, and yeah. 
I knew in that moment that this was not my path. I knew that this was not, I just had this knowing that like this feels off. This is not my purpose. But I think like many of us, I was too afraid to mm-hmm. speak my truth. My fear was if I dared to be who I am, if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to tell my father, this is not what I want to do, then I would lose his love. I would be outcast. I would be alone. I'd be abandoned. And so I said nothing. And I tried to rationalize and fit myself into the idea of what I thought people wanted me to be and what my father wanted me to be. But I think about four years uh, later, I was about 17, 18, I had some decisions to make. I felt such a strong, this is another moment where my life shifted. I felt such a strong, you know, soul calling. And I tell people like, when you, when your soul calls you, you better listen to your soul because your soul has an intelligence. And often what your soul guides you to do won't always make sense to your logic, won't always make sense to your mind and may sometimes be inconvenient. Your soul doesn't care about convenience. It just cares about evolution and growth. And my soul was calling me to come to America, specifically Southern California, because all of the self-help authors. So I would sneak into my father's uh, office And on his bookshelf were literally a thousand self-help books. So as a kid, from age 8 to 18, I became very obsessed with trying to read all of these spiritual books from the Eastern mystics of like Osho and Krishnamurti to Uspensky from the West to uh, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay. So for me, all of the modern day teachers lived in LA. They lived in Mm -hmm. San Diego. So for me, this was like the Mecca. And so I wanted to come to the US to go into this field. I had visions of writing books and speaking to people. And my soul said, go to America. And I knew in that moment, it was like a no shit moment because I knew Mm -hmm. that I had no choice. I felt like it was not an option, but I knew what that would mean for my life, that I would have to face my father, that I would have to maybe risk the relationship with my father and follow this completely unknown path that I had no idea where it was going to leave me, completely terrified, but I knew that something was calling me that was bigger than myself. And yet I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path and take over and be successful and follow in my father's footsteps and make everyone happy. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my own integrity, you know, what kind of success is that? Like you can't be truly fulfilled being someone that you're not. You can't be truly happy living someone else's life. And I saw that if I lie to myself now to get love, validation and approval, I will have to lie to myself for the rest of my life. And that felt, it felt like a soul suicide. And mm-hmm. so I, I took, I took, I took the pill and uh, jumped off the cliff and decided that I would confront my father, which was terrifying and scary. And I had to grieve even before the loss of relationship with my father. And how did you? Let me just stop you right here. How did you prepare for that conversation? Well, it was about four years of of, of questioning, rationalization, mm-hmm. uh, worst case scenarios. Crying, grieving, uh, terrified, 
I freaking, I'm 15, I freaking like found the psychic. I was so scared. I found a psychic, you know, a 15-year-old kid in the church. And I go to a psychic to try and get some guidance. Like, I'm a minister. Like, what do I do? I'm going to a freaking psychic and I, I, I'm not supposed yeah. to go to a psychic. Yeah, but I was kind of against it, right? Yeah, I, I was that desperate to find answers. And so, honestly, I cried for for a few years because mm. I had to grieve the loss I had to make peace with the fact I might not have a relationship with my father. And when I fully grieved it, it was still painful. But I just, once I grieved it and I made peace with the possibility of that, um, I spoke to my mother and I told my mother also about my decision. My mother being this amazing woman said, I back you up and I support you no matter what, I love you. And I think that also pushed me over the edge and I never forget the day where I tiptoed up the steps to my father's bedroom where he was and he was lying on the bed and I'm shaking, you know, and um, palms like sweating, sweating, everywhere. <laughs> hypervent. People think like, ah, oh, yeah, you have to get rid of fear. Like I was terrified. And so I just I just had to acknowledge the truth, which was this is what I have to do. And there was no real preparation because you can't necessarily prepare for something that's so scary other than like throw yourself off of the cliff and just mm -hmm. pray. And I prayed and I prayed and I asked for God's grace. I'm like, God, if this is true, what I feel like I need you, you know, so there was a lot of praying and I had the conversation and long story short, we, my father said, are you sure? I said, I'm not taking over. He said, are you sure? I said, yes. He said, are you sure? I said, yes. And that was, we didn't speak from that moment for two years. Wow. No communication. I mean, he traveled, so he was gone a lot. But mm -hmm. we, that was painful because I thought he would scream and yell. At least there'd be some communication. But we didn't speak for two years. And I remember being in such a deep, like people think that when you follow your purpose, it's easy. When you follow your purpose, so all the hard. angels come out and everything flows. Effort, you know, the self-help books make it sound like the effortless synchronicity of the unit. Sometimes when you face your freaking purpose and you go down that path, that's when the challenges and that's when the tests truly uh, arrive to, to test you, to, to also like, it's like the gymnasium, you know, to prepare you so that you can develop the mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological muscle for, let's say, soul force to be able to fulfill the vision. And so I was in this place where I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. No college education, no money, no support from my father, no support from anybody, but I felt this calling. And so I said a prayer. I said, God, if, if what I feel is right, I, I need the support of the universe now. If this is true, I need a sign. Mm -hmm. And days later, someone hands me a magazine called The Economist. Sometimes we ask for a sign, but we're not always paying attention because we think that the sign is going to be this, this huge thing. And someone hands me the magazine called The Economist, and I felt like, this is weird. You know, this is a clue from the universe. Mm -hmm. I look at the back, and I'm flipping through the magazine, and I see that the American government is giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery, the mm -hmm. DV1 green card lottery. I'm and, an immigrant myself, so I know all about them. <laughs> and, and, and everything in my, you know, it, it, literally all the cells in my body, the hairs on, on my skin just <laughs> stood up and I thought, I'm going to win this. 
I just felt like I'm going to win this thing. Uh And so I entered it and I was visualizing and meditating and doing my affirmations. I was told that unless I heard by September the 18th, then just move on with your life. And September the 18th, I'm running to the mailbox every day, right? For three months, Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing, nothing. September the 18th rolls around, nothing. Now I'm pissed off at God. Now I'm pissed off at the You're universe. Like, you gave me the sign. <laughs> you gave me the sign. You gave me the vision. You dropped me in the middle of the ocean and you just just leave me there. Like universe, like everything I've read, 800 books say just leap and the net will appear. You know, believe it and you can achieve it. Now I'm just dying. And, and I said to my mother, I'm going to go to America without a green card because I don't have one. Yes, it's illegal, and I'm not coming back because I, I so believe. I packed my bags that night. That night, we got a phone call. This was the 19th from the law firm I applied through in Washington, D.C. My mother picks up. She hands me the phone. The guy on the other line says, is this Mr. Blackson? I said, yes. I'll never forget his voice. He goes, I can't believe it, but we just got the, the letter today that you've won a green card. And I'm jumping around so excited hugging my mom in the middle of the night because of the time difference. Mm -hmm. And then I heard this voice that said, why do you seem so surprised? Did you like, did you not believe, you know, did you lose trust? And that's when I really had this profound sense that there was something, an intelligence, you know, an energy, something that is guiding my life has been guiding my life. And so that was a really profound moment. And that's what enabled me to come to the U.S., two suitcases, $800, knew no one in the country. And I went and found some of the mentors and authors I'd read about, studied with some of them, stayed here for a couple of years, and then reached another point where I was tired of reading. You know, I wanted to do this TV show once I came to the U.S. I had the opportunity to do this show, long story short, but I turned it down. And I went into a funk. And I started to travel the world in search of answers. Ended up in Israel, studying with some rabbis, ended up in Thailand, ended up walking the Camino in Northern Spain, shaving my head, walk the Camino. I ended up in India. And for me, it was spending about four to five months in India, maybe about five months in India, that really cracked me open to a deeper sense of my true purpose and who I am. And and so much happened for me in the first year in India that I came back. That's when I came back to the US and... I was broke, broke up with my girlfriend, was homeless. I mean, nothing. And you were 15 at the time. I mean, no, 16, something I, No, like that. I, I left the U.S. at 18. Okay. And, and, and so I was, by the time I went to India, I was about 20, 22-ish mm-hmm. in that zone. And I had nothing. But when I came back from India, I felt so at peace, you know, so, so I felt so free. But there was no reason. I didn't have, barely had mm-hmm. any money had nowhere to stay, sleeping on the couches of friends, but I felt such a sense of peace. And people started coming up to me and saying like, why, why do you seem so happy? Like, why, why do you seem so peaceful? And I started talking to people. And before you know it, I had my first coaching client and that just grew slowly and evolved. And then I went through another epiphany and I began working with people in a very, over the course of years, I developed a methodology of working with people that I called uncoaching. And people's mm-hmm. lives started to like radically transform in deep ways. And I had people coming to me from all over the world to work with me one-on-one. And that just evolved. So I just started, this is pre-social media and pre-Facebook and pre-Instagram. You know, I just started working with people one-on-one, 
first out of the pure desire of just helping people experience freedom, you know, and, and people came. And then that just grew into small groups and large groups and larger groups and two books. And, you know, here we are. That's the, that's the short version. Wow. Okay. There's so many things that you said that, first of all, I can relate to because I am from Croatia originally. Wow. I, I love came... Croatia. Yeah. You've been? Split. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's so funny. I just posted a video about Split today. I came here when I was 22 wow. on my own wow. with two suitcases and a thousand dollars. Wow. So we have a, something very similar. And when you were speaking about your father and your relationship with him when you decided to do this. I remember when I decided, because I came here on an exchange program with my school and I'm still here on a work visa. So I know the struggles of, you know, other immigrants mm-hmm. going through mm-hmm. the same thing. And I remember how in the very beginning I made a decision and I was like, I need to stay here. I felt that similar calling that you felt. It was like, I just, I had nightmares of going back to Croatia and not being able to move to you. Like, I just knew that this is where I belong. And when I told my parents my decision, I feel like I blocked that time of my life a little mm-hmm. bit because I don't even remember speaking to them. I just decided like, this is what I'm doing. And they were obviously constantly telling me, just come back home, do this. Mm-hmm. And then later you can do, you know, I just, I just knew that I had to stay here. And when you were speaking about purpose and that people usually think that life, you know, when you discover your purpose, everything is just going to be peachy smooth, yeah. but life is constantly testing you to kind yes. of see if you're serious about it. And I feel like finally what I'm doing today and helping women with my content and having people like you on the podcast Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, just helping people in general, that is my purpose. But every day I'm tested every day, you know, I have something, a technical difficulty on my podcast that I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But I don't, I will never give up because I feel such a sense of peace. It's a beautiful thing. So you were living in California, right? Yes. Moved to Los Angeles straight And where do you live now? Uh, back in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm in okay. LA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Last, last few years, I ended up moving. To, I had a house in Phoenix. So I was in Phoenix during 2020 and COVID. Moved to Miami and I'm back in LA. So, How did you like Miami? I'm in Miami right now. I love Miami. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, 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 I thought I was going to be in Miami for the next 20 years. And mm-hmm. I think the vibe is obviously you find whatever you focus on in Miami. Yeah. It can be whatever you, (laughs) if you uh, folk, if you're in your ego and you stay on the surface and that's where you hang out, then you're going to kind of experience Miami in that way. And yet Mm -hmm. Miami for me was beautiful and, and, and stunningly gorgeous. And, and it had a resonance and a vibe and a pulse. And I think it's going to be a city of the next 20 years, but somehow the universe guided me back to LA, you know, and uh, this is where I'm at for now. You mentioned something interesting, afraid to speak your truth. Yes. Why do you think that people are afraid to speak their truth? I think for a few reasons, but I think at the core, we're afraid to speak our truth because there was something inside of us as human beings, the sense of like, if you know who I really am, you won't love me. Mm-hmm. And so the fear of really speaking our truth and being who we truly are, that may not always go, uh, go over very well with those in our lives. So the fear of losing love, the fear of losing validation, the fear of losing connection, the fear of losing people and loss often stops us from speaking our truth, the fear of judgment, the fear of being judged. And so in so many ways, we, from childhood, we learn, we've been conditioned and we learn to contort ourselves 
to be a certain way, who do I need to be in order to get mom to love me? Who do I need to be in order to get dad to love me? Or if I, if I'm quiet, if I don't say that, if I say this, if I say that, if I'm this way, if I'm that way. So we've been conditioned from childhood and we've learned unconsciously to be who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation and approval. And so I think not speaking our truth is limiting. But underlying that is also a positive intention. And the intention is we're trying to get love, validation, uh, acceptance, right? Unconditional loving from someone outside of ourselves. And so I think that's, that's a core thing, you know, the seeking of love and validation. And the challenge is when we don't speak our truth, we end up betraying ourselves. When we don't speak our truth, we end up denying and suppressing ourselves. And that's what makes us sick. That's what makes us frustrated. That's what makes us angry inside. And when we don't honor ourselves, what we will tend to do is manifest and attract people into our lives that don't accept us. Attract because we're not accepting our truth. We'll attract people Mm -hmm. into our lives that betray us or mirror that betrayal that we are doing to ourselves to us in our lives. And so, yeah, it's, it can be scary to speak our truth, but, but in many ways, Many of us, we're not necessarily acknowledging the truth to ourselves about who we are. Forget speaking our truth to someone else. You can't speak (laughs) your truth to someone else if you don't speak your truth to yourself. And I think one of the things that stops us from being truly fulfilled, truly alive, truly happy, you know, truly just at peace is we're constantly lying to ourselves about who we are, about what we feel, about what we want. We stay in relationships that we know are not particularly aligned because we're afraid. We work jobs that we know not really a true expression of our purpose out of fear. We say yes when we mean no. And so in order to speak our truth to someone else, I think we have to start speaking our truth to ourselves. And I think where we can start is maybe just start with the question, what lies am I telling myself? just to be able to get really real with ourselves. What lies am I telling myself? And to me, there is no transformation. There is no truly happy life without telling ourselves the truth. Sometimes we're afraid to tell the truth because we're afraid of the consequences. So I just tell people, take the pressure off of yourself of having to even take action. Like, oh, if I tell the truth about like my relationship, I'm that might mean I have to get a divorce. And mm-hmm. oh, that might mean I have to leave my job if I, if I acknowledge I'm not truly happy in my job. And so that's when sort of the ego kicks in and creates this kind of, we play a game of confusion. I don't really know what my truth is. I don't really know what my purpose is. I'm not really sure if this is right for me when we know, deep down we know. So if we can take the pressure off of ourselves, like you don't have to take action, but just acknowledge the truth. Okay, I'm not in love anymore. Oh, that's scary. And feel what comes up. I hate my job. It's scary to acknowledge that because like now what? You don't have to take action. You don't have to leave. Take the pressure off. But just get into relationship with the truth of what you feel because then underneath that will be a lot of emotions and feelings that can begin marinating and begin a process inside. But in order to speak our truth to someone, we have to speak our truth to ourselves. And I think that's where it starts. You mentioned something that we are afraid to speak our truth because we're afraid of other people and what they're going to say. And I remember, I mean, COVID was difficult for everyone, but I had other personal situations in my life that I was completely lost. I had no idea what was going on in my life. I was just totally shattered. 
And I went to speak to an astrologist or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Cool. I was like, I need to just like give me some signs from, from the universe. And she told me, and this is the first time that I'm speaking about this on my mm. podcast, which is very interesting. She told me that my mission, aka mm. purpose in life, is to help people. And that was what, let's say four years ago. I didn't have this platform. I didn't have my content the way I have. Like I didn't give, like I give dating advice mostly and stuff like that. And when she told me, I was like, mm. that's it. That's my mission in life is to help people. Can I get something different? Can I get something more like interesting? But now when I'm doing what I'm doing and when people are asking me, like, how do you have the patience to talk to all these? How do you do this? How do you do that? I'm like, I just, I just love it so much. And it is difficult at times, but you said also people are staying in relationships. They don't want to stay. And I was that girl who was so afraid to leave a situation that was hurting me to leave something that, you know, because I was just afraid to be on my own. Yeah. So for somebody listening right now, and they're in a situation when they are in a relationship and they're just deeply unhappy, maybe they're even married, they have kids, but they just know this is not what they deserve. Like, this is not what they want to have till the rest of your life. What would you say to that person? Yeah, it's scary. You know, I think it's important to first acknowledge the fear and not suppress it and not deny it. Because one way we tend to avoid is we distract ourselves. <clears throat> we drink it away, smoke it away, drug it away, <clears throat> shop it away, social media it away, just so we don't feel what we really feel inside. And that just keeps us stuck in the cycle and the loop. And so I would say the first step is remove the distractions and just acknowledge the fear and then acknowledge the truth. It, it, it always starts with the truth. Like, I'm terrified, I'm scared, but I'm not happy. This is not working. Like nothing, nothing can change until you really acknowledge where you are. I'm not happy in this relationship. It's scary. I'm crying. I'm but, but if you can just get to the truth, that gets you into relationship with what is, with reality. <clears throat> and then you can begin to shift and change reality. You can't change reality if you're in denial. Like, well, you, what we often do is we negotiate. Well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe he'll change. Maybe if I change, they'll change. And so we end up freaking negotiating 20 years of our life in a relationship that we know deep down is not really working. And then we break up. And here's what happens. Then we break up. Then we speak to our best friend. Like, I broke up. Yeah. Sorry. No, I knew it wasn't going to work. We, we, deep down, we, we know. When did you know? Exactly. When I first met the guy. When I, when I first met the person. We had this sense, but we denied it. And so I think we have to, we have to start with the truth and just acknowledge the truth. You can't, in order to change something, you have to acknowledge it and you have to come into acceptance of it. Like, this is what it is. This is who they are. And I tell people, if you're in a relationship, a couple of things I'll say. Do not fall in love with someone's potential because that's when we constantly start negotiating away. If I change, they'll change. If I cleanse my karma, maybe they'll shit. Like you have to look at who someone is right now exactly as they are and ask yourself if they'd never change. That doesn't mean we won't evolve. That doesn't mean, but, but if they fundamentally don't change, am I okay? Am I good? If you can't say, yeah, if they don't change, I'm, it's okay. Then you may be setting yourself up for pain. 
Because many times we go into relationships with a desire to change someone and end up, we end up changing ourselves in order to try to change the person and we end up miserable. So you have to accept who someone is, not fall in love with their potential. Because if you're in relationship with their potential, you're not in relationship really with who they are right now. You're in relationship with a fantasy inside of your mind rather than what is. And that will create suffering when that person doesn't fulfill or live into the potential that you're seeing. And it's okay to, you know, I tell my women friends, it's it's okay to see who a man is. It's okay to see his greatness. It's okay to see the possibility. It's, it's beautiful to see the, the greatness in him. You know, it's fine. If, if you see who, where he is, you're at peace with that, then any change is a bonus. But also, he has to be, he or she, he has to be willing to see what you see and be willing to do the mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, therapeutic work in the real world to affect those changes so that they can step into the potential that you're seeing. And so I think this is why accepting where someone is, is, is step one. And if you come to a place, sometimes we're afraid to accept where someone is because we know, shit, if I accept where Coco is, if I accept who Ku is, what they are doesn't work for me. It, it just, the reality, if I accept, I know that what they are right now just doesn't work. And because we're resisting that, we don't want to accept. But if you come into acceptance and you're like, it doesn't work, then you have to be willing to allow yourself to grieve. You know, I think the willingness to grieve is the key to letting go as well. Many times we don't fully accept, so then we don't fully allow ourselves to grieve fully, which is a next step. There's acceptance and the next step is grieving. And when we don't allow ourselves to accept, we can't allow ourselves to grieve. We don't allow ourselves to grieve the relationship will often stay holding on. But when we start to allow ourselves to grieve a relationship, that is the beginning of letting go. Many times we don't allow ourselves to grieve as a kind of form of denial to hold on to what was. So allow yourself to grieve the relationship. Allow yourself to grieve it because that will start a process of letting go. I tell people that relationship, if you're in one, if you're not in one, <clears throat> relationship, you attract to you a person that is a mirror manifestation of yourself. Everybody you attract to you, that person that is in your life is a mirror manifestation of yourself, a mirror manifestation of your consciousness reflecting to you parts of yourself that you most need to heal, make peace with, embrace, integrate, love, let go of. So on some level, they are mirror. On some level, there is no relationship out there. You're in relationship with an aspect or aspects of yourself that gets projected out there. And as a result, that energy is what draws them to you to show you where you're at and who you are and the parts of yourself that you need to make peace with. So if you look at the person you're with right now, ask yourself, am I good with that? If you look at what you're attracting, ask yourself, how do I, how, am I okay? What, what do I see? Do I like what I see? And so what we often do in relationships is, well, I don't like what I see. I'm just going to leave the relationship. I'm not saying leave. I'm not saying don't leave the relationship if you know for sure that it's no longer aligned. It's no longer working. You've done everything you can and you've done, you've taken responsibility and you've, you've tried and you've given 100% effort. But what I will say is before you leave, ask yourself, what are they mirrored to me about myself? Ask yourself, 
Why did my soul attract this person? Because we attract people into our lives because at a particular moment, we are a vibrational match. And there's certain lessons that your soul and their soul have to work out together. Relationship is a classroom. And so to me, the purpose of relationship isn't just going to the movies, having great sex, going, going on vacation, you know, getting each other flowers. The purpose of relationship on that spiritual level is, the, is, is, the, is, is evolution. The degree to which you together learn the lessons for why you came together so that you can grow and evolve and realize and awaken to the, your authentic nature. And so in relationship, before you break up, ask yourself, have I learned the lessons I needed to learn? Have I learned those lessons? Because if you just leave, and I'm not saying if you're in an abusive situation, maybe part of the lesson is to leave. But if you just leave and you go to someone else, likely all lessons are repeated until learned. And you'll attract the similar dynamic, different name, different face, different person, different hairstyle. But you'll attract a similar dynamic in a different relationship over and over and over and over again. Because ultimately you're in relationship with yourself projected out there. So ask yourself, what are the lessons that my soul is seeking to learn with this person? Complete those lessons. Learn those lessons as you decide to move on. And if, if I think that in relationship, sometimes people think it's over, but it's not necessarily over. Because if two people, here's what I'll say, if two people are willing to understand the true purpose of relationship, which is about the evolution of your soul together, soulmates is about a commitment to serving each other's soul's evolution. It's not like mind mates, body mates, it's soul mates. I commit to serving you. I commit to serving you. When one, If you understand that, then you understand that shit's going to get triggered and love will tend to bring up everything that is unlike itself to the surface in the form of your relationship in order to be healed. So that when... Stuff comes up to the surface, pain, reactivity, conditioning, fears, abandonment. When stuff comes up, that doesn't mean it's bad. And a lot of times when stuff comes up, people are like, I'm out, bye, you know. But when stuff comes up, if you understand the real purpose of relationship, which is evolution, then relationship can be a profound healing container and yoga for the both of you to work through stuff together. And so, so long as you both have that understanding, commitment, compassion to hold each other's you know stuff gently then you understand that when stuff comes up it's not bad it's an opportunity for healing this is the yoga this is the classroom then if you both have the commitment to say okay i commit to serving your soul yeah yeah i commit to serving your soul so long as you both commit to serving each other's souls even when some challenging stuff is there you have a relationship and you can continue but when someone is like i'm no longer committed to serve in your soul. Even if you stay together, you don't have a relationship. It's, it's a dead relationship at that point. You're not in a relationship even if you're together. And so I think that is a, a key component. Like if, if one person is no longer committed to serving each other's soul's evolution, or if you feel that you've just grown in such a radically different direction that you, you no longer feel you're growing and evolving or the lessons for why you've come together are now complete, that might be a sign that your relationship is over. 
I've never heard anybody, and I have a lot of relationship experts and, you know, book authors on my podcast. I never heard anybody say that a relationship is serving each other's souls. I think that's, that's it. so beautiful. It's so interesting. And it's so true because you learn how to grow with that other person. And what you were talking about, people, you're attracting everybody and it's a mirror. And, and as yes. you were saying that, I was I was thinking about people in my life and I was like, how, why did I attract that person? Why did I attract that person? And everything kind of starts making sense. Yes. And oftentimes people stay in relationships that are pretty bad. And then at yeah. some point they decide to break up. But it happens that you know that somebody is really bad for you. You know that a relationship yeah. is never going to work, but you still oh. have a hard time letting go. Yeah, this is good Even one. the relationship might be over. You're yeah. done. But you're still thinking about them. They were horrible. They were mentally abusive. They were treating you yes. like shit. Yes. Why? Well, Why okay. are we it's, still so connected? It's it's so hard, you know. And and if wow, relationships are so beautiful and they're so delicate, you know. And we're so delicate as human beings. And for I just want to say, like anyone that has the courage to be in a relationship and love and give and be vulnerable and try, you're freaking heroes. You know, we're heroes because it's not easy to love and be open and risk in that way. It's easier to be on the sidelines. And so, look, here's what I'll say. Every single thing that happens to us as children gets stored in our nervous system. The sights, the sounds, the smells, what mom says to dad, what, how mom and dad are interacting, you know, the energy in, in the home, the heightened intensity, the dysfunction, beliefs about every single thing that happens gets stored in a nervous system. The nervous system is the antenna to the world. And so maybe dad wasn't around. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he wasn't available. Maybe he was gone. Maybe mom was crazy. Maybe dad was cheating. Maybe, maybe dad was a mom or dad. Maybe they were abusive. So they were screaming, beating, you know, verbally abusive in some way. So as children, what happens is we start getting conditioned. Oh, dad is mean. Love is, love, love, love is abusive because dad's always screaming at me. So the patterning that starts happening from a very young age in our nervous, in our physiology, in our nervous system becomes love and abuse, love and pain, love and, 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 and dysfunction and toxicity gets fused together. Dad is always gone. So like we have this experience that gets wired in our nervous system of love. I love my dad is not available. Love is not available. So there's always this feeling of reaching for love that's never really there, never really available because we love that. So love and unavailability, as an example, starts getting wired into our nervous system. Nervous system is the antenna to the world. Information comes in, gets filtered through the state, the current state of our nervous system. So the degree to which we're conditioned, i.e. carrying unresolved pain, hurt, resentment, anger, emotions, dysfunction, trauma, the degree to which we're carrying that in our body and our nervous system is the degree to which we won't be able to see clearly, perceive clearly, and the degree to which we will project through the lens of the conditioned filter of our nervous system onto the world. We're walking around, many of us, most of us, we're walking around with kind of like a certain color glasses based on our nervous system, thinking that everything is blue, but it's not. We're seeing through the lens of our conditioning. So what will happen often in relationships, we'll meet someone, we'll go to a party, we'll meet someone. Like, oh, I think she's cute. Oh, I think he's cute. Like, and you tell your friend, I feel like I know, I feel like I know them. 
We've all been there. Like I feel yeah. like I, I feel like I know her, and then and then he comes over. It's like, oh hi. I feel like I, I feel like I know you. I feel like I know you too. I feel like I've known you all my life. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you're my soulmate. I feel so close to you. I feel so we're in love. Yes. The thing is this. <laughs> the thing, and we've all had that. Like I feel like we just fit together. We're meant to. The thing is this. We think it's chemistry, but I call it shittistry. It's like my shit fits with your shit and we kind of perfectly fit together. And yes, it does feel familiar, but the energetic patterning in your nervous system just somehow unconsciously fits the energetic pattern in that other person's nervous system because they're your dad. It just, there's a familiarity in the energetic. They're not your dad, but energetically, their conditioning is really the same or very similar. And it feels at home. And it feels familiar. And we're so attracted to it. And that's what pulls us together. Even though all of your friends say, don't go there. And even though something inside of you or me might say, don't go there. Don't, but, but, but we can't help ourselves. Like we know we shouldn't, but, 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 but the energetic impulse and pull and, and, and magnetism pulls us together in such a way because it's our conditioning that fits perfectly together that draws us together. And now you say it to your friends, no, 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 he's different. Until two months or three months into a relationship, you're like, shit, all of the kind of pain that feels familiar from childhood, you start feeling again because there is often an unconscious impulse inside of us that is seeking to heal. So now we draw this relationship in. And, and part of why it's hard to, 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 to leave is because it feels so familiar. It feels so ingrained the relationship, the energetic, the frequency, the dynamic, we start feeling like how we felt then and we're not thinking straight anymore. We've transported ourselves back to that moment. We're transferring that onto this person. We're no longer in relationship with our husband, our wife, our girlfriend. We're in relationship with our mom. We're in relationship with our dad. And, and that that is not a logical thing. We, we know we need to leave. We know like this is freaking abusive. This is not right. But, but love is abuse and my love, my dad and I love him. And, 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 and so that's, that's why I say information by itself is not enough. We have to really do the inner emotional, mental, emotional, energetic, somatic healing to be able to like, unravel these layers of conditioning that keep us hooked into these relationships and dynamics. Otherwise, it will be hard to leave even a situation that we know we need to leave. We try to leave, we mentalize it, but but just our nervous system, our body doesn't let us leave. And that's why it's it's so hard. You know, it's so hard. I've also learned that basically when you break up with someone, there's these chemicals in your brain that you literally experience withdrawals, like you're coming off a drug. And that's why whenever you're on there, let's say you go through your photos, you look at old pictures or you go to their Instagram and you're Ah. going through there's something, you feel like you're still in it and you feel like you're getting your dose and you feel like you're still kind of in control because you're, you're in it, but. What did you when say? You fa- shit when- history? Shit history. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> when you fall in love, right? Here's what happens. I tell people, when you meet someone, if anyone's listening, this will save you two years of hell. This will save you two years of hell in the relationship, two years of hell getting over the relationship. That will sa- I'm going to save you four years right now. When you meet someone and you feel that overwhelming, like, boom, like, bam, like, ah, 
you know, you know that rush of energy, that adrenaline, like <gasps> chemistry. Shittery, really. Just Shittery. right. Breathe. That's the moment to like just just slow. I tell people, slow down. That's the moment to slow down. Slow everything down. Because that moment we've gone unconscious, we've transported back. We're in transference. We're not really present. We're not even necessarily seeing who's in front of us. And we don't even know that. I say, slow down, breathe, come into your body, come into the present moment and take it slow. Take it slow. Because often, if you think back, how many of those relationships where you felt the explosion in the beginning and the how many of those people are you in relationship with right now? <laughs> Probably none of them. You know, hopefully none of hopefully them. none of them, you know, <laughs> and often many times the right person won't necessarily fit your type because your type or what you think of as your type is really your conditioning. And, and so slow down, because when you can slow down, then you can actually connect to the moment, not when you were five connect to the moment, breathe, and you can start to see clearly. Because often when we trigger and we fall in love, scientific studies have been done that say when a person falls in love, their brain waves and the chemicals in the brain, when they measured someone on cocaine and in love, are exactly the same. I call it cocaine brain. You are <laughs> having the same you know, chemicals flooding through the brain. So we're not, we're not really thinking Clearly in that moment. That's why I say, slow down. Take it slow. There's no rush. And what I found, when you take it slow, and you're not stuck in the past, transferring, projecting, you take it slow, that will give you the opportunity often to see who the other person really is. And often, who the other person really is will begin to reveal itself slowly in the process of just getting to know each other slowly. Love that. You said so many. I feel like I'm going to be re-listening to this episode oh, a few times cool. because I'm just in awe of what you're saying. And you wrote two books. Your yes. first book is You Are the One, and the second one is The Magic of Surrender. What does surrender mean to you? Wow. It's, it's kind of like my favorite word, you know? Mm. Um, I think what I will say is I think in our culture today, we have so many misconceptions on surrender. This idea that surrender is weak, surrender is passive, surrender is giving up, surrender is being a victim, is waving the white flag, that if you surrender, you're going to be left behind, taken advantage of, that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires, that you're going to get less than. And I'm actually saying, no, if you really understand the, the real essence of what surrender is, like true, authentic surrender. Like what if you didn't get less in life, but you got more? Maybe not what you expected, but more than you could have imagined with your logic, with your conscious personality, egos, you know, capacity to imagine life. What if it was better and more? Because if you look at the, if we all look at the best things in our lives that have happened, the best things, most of it we didn't plan. Most of it happened, you know, in the process of just living life. And it's like, wow, I didn't plan to go meet that person in the coffee shop, but bumped into them in the yoga class, but bumped into mm -hmm. them, you know, you know, in the airport. And so surrender really is a letting go of control, 
or I should say the illusion that we are in control in the first place. Surrender is when we stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be, how we think a relationship should be, who we think we should be, where we think things should be. It's, It's when we take the limitations off of life and we're open, we're available, we're curious, we're we're receptive. We allow life to lead us and show us. And I think, I believe it is the most powerful thing that we can do. It's the real secret to manifestation. It is the password to freedom. If you look at the truly great ones, people that I am inspired by, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mandela, Mother Teresa, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, you know, people that weren't weak at all at some point they all reached a point in their lives where they had to surrender themselves. And in that surrender to the divine, to the universe, to their soul, to, to, to life, to their purpose, to like you surrender to your deeper purpose. And here you are, you know, inspiring so many amazing people. Like, like, like when you truly surrender to that, which is bigger than you, that's when you transcend your own limited ego's capacity you know, your human capacity. And that's, I think, when life begins to manifest through you and use you. And so for me, that's what surrender is. The old paradigm and the old way of living life was know what you want, get clear on what you want, Mm -hmm. make it happen, force it, you know, just go for it, which is great. It has a place, but it's limiting. In that, sometimes you might get everything that you thought you wanted, you thought you wanted, only to realize that what you thought you wanted was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times mm-hmm. our goals can be projections of like conditioning, un- kind of con- p- projections of our conditioning of unmet needs. I wasn't, you know, loved growing up and I wasn't accepted. So if I can just, you know, be famous, if I can just be an actor, if I can just do that thing, then I'm going to finally be enough. And nothing outside of you makes you feel enough unless you feel that inside. And so for me, the question, I would invite people to sit with as we reflect on surrender is not what do I want? That's great. Have a sense of what you want. But the question is, what is it that life is seeking to express through me? Feel like what is, what is the universe seeking to express? What is God seeking to express? What is my soul seeking to express through me? And, and what is the deepest truth, the deepest impulse of what I am called to express right now and feel what that is? And allow that to guide you. And then you can align your mind and your goals and your planning and your strategy and money and marketing with that. But now you're truly in the flow. And then you give 100%. One thing I just want to clarify is surrender doesn't mean being passive and sitting around and doing nothing. When you catch the true authentic vision for your life, you go 100%. But the key is you go 100% without attachment to the outcome then you're available, then you're open to allowing life to show you. I have one last question, because if I start with all my questions, I'll be here for hours. <laughs> How can people attract more abundance in their life and get rid of that Ooh. feeling that they're not worthy of certain Ooh, things? Man, you ask, I like your questions. They're really oh, great, great questions. <laughs> really great questions. Okay, I'm just, I want to approach it from a few different angles. Attracting more abundance, I'm not worthy. First, I want to just say, There's nothing you do that will make you worthy and nothing you don't do will make you unworthy. All of life, if you look around, don't take my word for it. 
Just look around. All of life is loving you unconditionally every moment. The sun shines, not because, oh, Coco did something good today. Let's, let, the sun's going to shine on her. Coop did something good today. Okay, we'll give him a bit of, a, a bit of the moon. It, it will give him some air. Life is loving us. Life is showing us the unconditionality of our own worth and value. Every moment, we are being loved by life, every breath, every moment. And so I just invite people to connect to that, you know, to feel that. Like, life is unconditional in its loving and and, and acknowledging of our true value. So nothing makes you more or less valuable because what you are truly, when you know who you are, what you are is whole, perfect, and complete. What you are is a soul. What you are is not what has happened to you, not, not, not experiences, not accolades. What you are is you just are, and just your isness is pure value, you know? And I think that is something we have to just sit with and connect with. In terms of abundance, talked about abundance. To me, abundance is not about what you have or what you don't have, because you can have a lot of stuff and still be in lack and scarcity. You can, ha- you can be a multi, and I've worked with many billionaires and they, they're, they're terrified, you know, they don't feel good, good about themselves. They're still living in fear. Of, I don't have enough money. And, and, and so abundance is not about what you have or what you don't have. Abundance is about how you feel about yourself and about how you feel about what you have. And the real source of abundance is really about being connected to the true source of abundance, which is your soul, which is life. When you're truly connected to who you are, your soul, the essence of your life, that you are an infinite being, not just this ego, little mind-body mechanism, which is separate from existence. But when you are truly connected to like, I'm a soul, I'm not just this body that's going to give him birth and then dies. I'm an infinite stream of energy. That is the source of true abundance that comes through one's inner connection one's opening, one's awakening, one's spiritual practice. And I think when we really connect to our soul, we start connecting to a source of abundance that is not dependent on what we do, what we achieve, what we don't achieve. We start connecting to the true source of abundance, the true source of worth, the true source of value. So that frees us up when we're no longer seeking that from the external world. Then our value is not, and our worth is not dependent on anything outside then we're free because in that freedom we realize, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking infinite. Like what I am is an infinite being. That to me is the, found, the spiritual foundation of abundance, acknowledging who and what you are. And I think when we connect to that, that frees us. Then I think on a practical level, what we can begin doing is start acknowledging what you do have. If you're looking around practically in the world, like, but my bank account doesn't reflect that I'm an infinite being. You know, my bank account doesn't reflect my infinity. It's okay. To me, all of life is a reflection. And life is reflecting to us what we believe about ourselves, showing us opportunities to shift and heal. And so start to acknowledge the abundance that you do have. Look around. Don't just look at what I don't have. Yeah, the gratitude. What do I have? Wow, I have my health. Small. Acknowledge that. Just start acknowledging the feeling, the energy, the the friendships, the the intangible. Start acknowledging and cultivating that as a feeling within yourself. 
Don't wait till you have a bazillion dollars or the Ferrari or the big house or the big podcast. What have? Forget all of that. Connect to the feeling of that right now. What do I have? And allow that to amplify and feel the gratitude. And even if you're like, but I want some money, fine. Because here's the thing. We think money will bring us that feeling of peace. It won't. Ask yourself this. By having a billion dollars, what is it that I'm seeking? How is it that I think, I'm, what, what is the feeling that I'm going for by having a billion dollars? I would feel X, Y, Z. What is the feeling I would have by having that beautiful, you know, car? Great. Acknowledge that. And start finding a way to cultivate that feeling, the feeling within yourself right now, not as something separate from you or waiting for an experience to show up to gift that to you. You start cultivating that feeling of, I would feel joy. Start cultivating that joy inside of yourself now. That's, that's abundance, you know, where you're not depending on anything. Start cultivating that inner sense of joy, blissfulness, freedom, happiness, lightness, Cultivate that now, live that now, then I think you're truly free. And lastly, I would say, if you really want to be abundant, don't wait till you have. You must have it before you have it. And so in order to have it before you have it, you have to have it. And so start giving away and affirming your abundance by giving away more of what you want. What I want more love. Start finding ways to give it away by being a small contribution. It might be giving a dollar to someone. Making someone food, taking someone coffee. Start finding ways to open your heart and give because that starts affirming your trust in the universe. That starts affirming that you are abundant. Even with the small that you have, you're being in abundance with that. And as you open your heart to give, here's what happens. You open your heart to love someone. You open your heart to check in on someone. You open. People think, well, I don't have anything to give. You have a smile. Open your heart and you smile. Whenever you open your heart to give, you open your heart. You open your heart to receiving at the same time. You can't give and not be open. You have to open to give. So when you open to give, you open and that allows you to receive. That, that opens your receptivity as well. And so don't wait till you have it. Start giving away what you want. That also starts to activate abundance in life. I love to compliment my, whenever I'm buying something and like talking to the cashier and just tell them, you know, I love your hair. I love this. Uh-huh. I love that. And they the smile on their face because they're just doing, you know, their yeah. jobs that is like very automatic. And when somebody really shows them that you see them, you pay attention, That's it, the key. it goes so such a long way. Okay, Kut, this conversation was so incredible, <laughs> inspirational. Would you be okay giving one of your books to our listeners? Can I do one better? Yes. We'll give five. Okay, love that. Okay, amazing. Five okay. five books, signed copies to your people. Oh, shit. Okay. okay so <laughs> Abundance, right? To- We're talking abundance. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so all you guys need to do is obviously follow Coot on Instagram and then head over to my Bougie Best Friend page where you're going to see a video of this conversation and drop a comment and tell me what was your favorite part of this amazing conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Please share. Where can everybody find you? Where can they buy your books? And also, is there anything you are doing? I think you have, yeah, you have those retreats. Yeah, yeah. So so first thing, everyone just grab the book because I think it's the, it's like $15, but it's such a simple manual to, guide you through 
the process of surrendering. But yes, twice a year, if people are inspired by the conversation, I think that the most, I don't know, accelerated, evolutionary, transformational thing I do is I do a 12-day event in Bali. It's, it's life-changing. I've done it for 12 years. We have everyone from billionaires, celebrities, entrepreneurs, black, white, green, orange, men, women, you name it. We have come to this event. I've done it for 10 years. And it's, it's, it's one of the most unique experiences on the planet, truly. I'm humbled to facilitate it. I've done 20 of these events in the last 10 years. This is my last year doing this event. Uh, so I'm doing two this year. The next one is July the 28th through August the 8th. It's called Boundless Bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience. And people can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. They can find out more info there and apply. My main website is Coop Blackson. Uh, Instagram, Coop Blackson. Facebook, Coop Love Now. And uh, yeah, say hi. Amazing. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Coop, again, for being here. Thank you. And thank you. I'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye.